maybe Warner Brothers can take this, strip everything off it, and release it as piano microphone prints. Another Prince track. <laughs> Make an yeah. album out of it. It can be titled <laughs> Timeless. <laughs> Timeless. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast, your central place to hear unofficial news, reviews, trivia, and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the Prince world, featuring the hosts, MC, you know, it's got all those classic Prince elements, Captain, why wouldn't you just record as much as you could, player, it's just like a story chest of ideas, Toe Jam, either version, I love both versions, and other special guests. Hi, this is Larry Graham, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. This is Mr. Hayes, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast, baby. What's happening, Australia? This is Tony Young from the New Power Generation, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hey, everybody, this is St. Paul Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Eden Nelson. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Peach and Black Podcast. We are gathered here once again around this virtual roundtable with our virtual microphones and real people, real human beings. There's four of us. Let me introduce (laughs) the panel from left to right player oh lord toe jam oh what i wouldn't give for a broken bottle <laughs> and captain cocktails before dinner <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait wait is that the same waiter you guys sound different and it's me robert's in the place to be let's do this thing called the world famous peach and black album review let's get right into it we are back again uh, we've done so many Prince albums over the years and we've dabbled in talking about related artists and this, that and the other thing. And today, it's one of those other things, kind of. We're going to talk about The Times 1984 record, Ice Cream Castle. And uh, this is, what, six songs worth? Let's see how long this show goes. for. I'm not trying to set the scene too much here and I'm not... <laughs> All I'm saying is it's six pieces of music. We're going to talk about all of them. Let's see what the time on the clock is when we're done. At least you got the album title right. It's Ice Cream Castle. Correct. Mm. It's tricky. Correct. It's very tricky. It's not the plural. And uh, (laughs) yeah, look, this is a crazy release for a number of reasons. Uh, We'll go into our track by track analysis, world famous Peach and Black analysis. But before we do that, any random or very specific comments from you guys around what was going on at the time, the kind of pre-hype or pre-shenanigans prior to this album's release? It's the third album from the time. And I think this is the first one Paul Peterson was on. Mm -hmm. Is it first and last? Yep. Oh, yeah. I didn't really need to add that in there, did I? But... (laughs) (laughs) Well, the most interesting thing is the band broke up by the time the album came out. And the other interesting thing was was the songs in Purple Rain. You know, it's Purple Rain's the soundtrack, but these songs are not on it. So it's kind of the soundtrack. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. But mm. No, but you know what? I reckon that was like so many people have said, why didn't, why didn't the Purple Rain album include, you know, these other songs? 
like Graffiti mm. Bridge did. But think mm. about the genius marketing move that not doing that is. Instead of just selling the Purple Rain yeah. album with all the songs, you're going to sell the Purple Rain album. You're going to sell the Time album. You're going to sell the Apollonia 6 album. Yeah. You're selling mm. three albums instead of one. So that's freaking genius, really, if that was the intention. Three albums instead of one and three distinct acts uh, that can then go out on tour, to your point, Captain. Yep. And, you know, you can create all this hype and mystery around your own proclivities and, and prolificness, I guess, around, you know, we're talking about Prince, obviously, and his ability to make all these songs for all these different people. So it's kind of crazy that way as well. You know, it's just so... And he wrote it all, so he's getting all the cash. Yeah. Genius. Well, he wrote it all, give and take a couple of tracks on here, which I'm sure we're going to discuss. Uh, Jesse Johnson's name has to be mentioned. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's... It's what, 80 or 90% of the material you, we would guess would be Jamie Starr, a.k.a. Prince. Jamie Starr Productions. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, for but- me, this is the the final Time album because to me, when I, when I think of a Time album, I don't think of, in terms of the albums, I don't think of the band so much. I think of Prince and Morris Day collaborating and that, like, mm. the first three albums, that, mm. that's what they are. You know, of course, you have some contributions by Jesse, a little bit by some other someone else here and there, but, you know, primar- primarily it's Prince and Morris Day and Pandemonium, as, as good as that album is, that to me is... That's Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. You know, it's not Prince and Morris Day mm. so much. So uh, this is the, to me, this is the final time album of that era. You know, The interesting thing, when you say of that era, it's certainly of the era, but on Tidal, and not to make this whole show about Tidal and its notes and liner notes for albums, but they actually list this as being released in June 1985. So um, anyway, just a little fun hey. fact for people. <laughs> if you have a good- Incorrect r- fact. Yeah, incorrect, an incorrect. Yeah. Can you have an incorrect fact? Let, let's say fan. July. Era. No, 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 no. Alternative facts. That's what it is. <laughs> there you go. No, it's early July 1984. That's a mm. bit more correct. Yes, that's Cap- much more correct. Cap- <laughs> Captain, you touched on something interesting earlier, how people say Purple Rain should be, have like a second disc with all these songs on it. And when it comes to Graffiti Bridge, they think it should be a Prince album with none of the contributions <laughs> yeah. on it. It's <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so funny. But that's the typical Prince fan, really. Whatever happens, oh, why didn't they do it the other way? <laughs> that's just the way it is. Except that in that example that player just put forward, it really is a good idea, right? Like, I think all four of us agree with that, maybe. Pretty much. Well, that's the genius of, you know, you love resequencing things. That's the genius <laughs> of having all these songs on your computer. You can just make whatever track list you want and play it in your own house. And that's fine. Mm. I do love resequencing things. I didn't say I'm any good at it, but I do enjoy what I do. But going back back to the album, it's a crazy period because, you know, this is basically Prince doing the triple threat thing a second time, which is mind-blowing. And I only, it's not in my notes, but just hearing you guys talk about it, I just thought he, this is like what he did with the album 99 and the tour and and the other albums around then, because there was an 82 time album. There was an 82 Vanity 6 album, right? So he did the same thing, but then he does it again, bigger and bolder and brasher and just explodes in the year of 1984. Plus this time he's got a movie on top. It's like it really boggles the mind because for maybe any other artist in the world, what Prince achieved with 1999, releasing you know three records and, and going out on the tour and doing all this sort of stuff would have been enough. But then he goes ahead and does something like this within a span of, I want to say, less than two years because 1999 and all that kind of stuff was released late in 82 and this was released mid of 84. So we're talking 18 to 20 months later. People talk about how prolific Prince was. 
and we talk about it, but sometimes I'm stunned. I just sit back, as I'm sure you guys do, and we just kind of go, holy shit, he, he really was. I mean, prolific is almost like a misnomer for him. He was just unstoppably prolific. I, I don't know. What's more than prolific? Prince. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Prince, yeah. That's a great, great definition. But look, before again, before we go into the songs themselves, does anyone here, and I know this is a loaded question, have any actual real live memory of this era and actually hearing this album around the time it came out? I don't want to date or age anyone, but I'm just going to put my hand up and say, I did not hear this when it came out. <laughs> but did anyone, you know? Um, when the movie came out, all I heard was the songs on Purple Rain. So like Jungle Love and Bird. Couldn't find Ice Cream Castle here in Australia uh, around that time. And I couldn't find it right up until maybe the mid 90s. It was such a hard album to find in Australia. And if you could find it, it was like an import and it was pretty pricey. So I didn't get really get to hear this album properly until like mid 90s. At the time when it came out, it was, it's kind of like, I don't know, like in 84, if it was more readily available because I was pretty young then and I, I really wasn't searching for it, but I could not find it right up until the mid-90s. I was saying to Toe Jam just before we started that I don't recall hearing this album in full ever. I mean, I might <laughs> what, have, until Until our review. Until, you know, the last few, the few weeks where I started listening to it for this wow. to review it. You give me grief over not hearing whatever that album <laughs> Well, you pulled an MC. But I don't come on and <laughs> slam it just because it's new to me. <laughs> oh, I've only heard this once, so it's obviously crap. <laughs> don't spoil the review, Captain. Oh, hang on. Like, MC loved Exodus, though, and he only listened to that the week before we did the review. <laughs> and so now... <laughs> <laughs> That's true. How crazy is that? No, I'm just that? saying, like, I'm not... You know, like, we've all probably all got something like that where we just never got around to listening to it for whatever reasons. So. Why is it, Captain, that you only heard it recently? I probably had heard this at some point, like, you know, 20 years ago, but I just, it's something I never came back to. You know, hmm. I've heard Jungle Love and the Bird, it's in the movie, you hear it here and there, but the other tracks on this, I just, I was listening to them, I'm like, I don't think I've ever heard these before, and I probably have. Wow. It was just wow. so long ago, I didn't remember <laughs> at all. <sighs> Jerome Skikikuruliachi is going to be very upset, Captain. <laughs> gotcha, friends. <laughs> so, yeah. So, okay. It. So, Player has a recollection of actually searching, seeking out for it, not getting it until, what, the mid-90s in Australia. Captain's heard it two minutes ago. Told you. <laughs> two weeks, two weeks ago. Okay, two I've weeks ago. I've listened to this at least 20 times in the last oh, two weeks. Oh, okay, very good. So you're well qualified to talk about it, don't you? I think so. I'm guessing I this was probably one of the first Amazon orders I ordered for um, probably 2001-ish, I guess. Ooh, um, and wow. I, I bought the three time albums, the time, what time is it, and this one, like just in one shot. Is that because you found it hard to find it here too? Yeah, like I'd never seen, I'd never even seen it anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly I'm looking on Amazon. Oh, there's these time albums that I've been hearing about. So yeah, I'm kind of like you, Toe Jam. Although I didn't get it from Amazon, but I just got it from shops. And usually it was well, not not usually. In all cases, it was a used imported CD. So um, yeah, kind of interesting. But none of us have really lived with this from the mid 80s but certainly at least from the mid 90s onwards or like early 2000s onwards we um most of us have heard this material last week for captain and yeah that's right but captain if you've listened to it 20 times in the last two weeks you've probably heard it maybe more than all of us combined who knows so let's go straight into the music and of course we're going to start with track number one and it's not the title track but it's very close it's called ice cream castles I 
Seven and a half minutes of music. Let's talk about it. Captain, lead it off. Ooh, okay then. Intro. Almost 30 seconds of that bloody music box. That's too much. That's, <laughs> that's just too much. 10 seconds, okay. 20, uh, 30's just a bit crazy. Uh, anyway, at first listen, this doesn't, to me, it doesn't even sound like a time song. It seems more yeah. like a revolution dream factory, like early versions yeah. than anything the time ever released previously. But um, yeah, I've listened to it a lot in the last few weeks. And I like all those little guitar licks in the background. Not just what he's playing, but the sound of that guitar. It's just so nice. And It's so nice. <laughs> I can make it so nice. It's the first part of the song. It's really just like your standard sort of pop track until about 236 to 250. You get a bit of a sign that Prince is behind it. Just this really weird bunch of weird stuff that goes on. And then so just back to the normal poppy stuff again. Then from about four minutes, the rest of the track's just this big jam, which is great. And I really like it from about 519. That's when it gets funky and that keyboard comes in and the synth bass starts doing some cool stuff. And just go and listen to it. That's all I can say. Go and listen to it. <laughs> This song, especially the second half, where they just having some fun. It's good stuff. All right, all right, all right. Player, what are your thoughts on the opening track of this album? I was going to save this for the end, but I want to mention it at the start because it starts with this track and it goes all the way through. This record sounds so thin. There's no bottom end in this record. And it starts with this track. Like if you think of the sonic quality of the Purple Rain album, even 1999 album, and you compare it to this, like back to back, it just sounds like really, like, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know if there's the production value. I don't know if it's, you know, Prince with the rivalry with the time. Like, oh, you know, I'm just going to make your record sound a little bit weaker than mine. Like, I don't know what it is, but it just sounds so thin. Like, especially even compared to the first two Time albums. This, there's something about this album that there's no, like, grunt in it. I find it right from this starting track. So like just the, the sonic audio quality. I mean, I'm not saying that the album's bad. I just think it's interesting that it's coming out of the same studio and it's coming out of the same person, really, Prince, but it just has a different kind of sound to it. Yes, you do have the music music box chimes. It's it's It kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like it plays in the outro as well. So it's kind of like you're going into this dream type thing like like captain said it's like dream factory and a revolution song and then at the end of it it kind of reprises again and it just has this fantasy theme about it even the front cover even like the apollonia album where you know uh, susan's holding the teddy bear and stuff like it's it's got like this childlike fantasy thing about it it's this theme that's kind of running all through it um just on that intro doesn't mm, pandemonium start with a very similar thing yes yes, yes. i was just thinking yeah Actually, if you listen to link. all the time albums, there's sounds and things in all the albums that link. Ah. Um, I can't give an example at the moment, but there are things. But yes, on this track, you can hear Prince in the background vocal, but only just. It's like just under Morris's. Like if you have to kind of strain to listen to it, but his voice is there. Um, <laughs> My girls. Yeah. Well, what is this? Is this lyrically about interracial love? It's it's kind of. <laughs> I think I think you actually got it in one player. That, that's the way yeah. I was reading it. Yeah, I don't know where the ice cream comes but, into it, yeah. though, but. 
<laughs> well, yeah, they make uh, different, different, ne- different colors, different flavors. Neapolitan. It's the same thing on. Um, <laughs> that's right. Even on the 1999 album, it was all about blacks and whites and Puerto Ricans, and it's that's what was going on in his head at the time. Hmm. And the only other thing was uh, Prince reprised this on the Welcome to Australia tour with the um. He did it with a medley Mutiny? with. Yeah. Absolutely, he did. MC and I were there at the when he did Mutiny with a bit of this mixed into it. That's true. But also, there was a version released through Dr. Funkenberry, I think. As oh, rehearsal. yeah. It was like a long rehearsal. Long jam. Yeah. They basically mixed this song with Mutiny, and it became a like, it was the Mutiny song with some of the hooks from Ice Cream Castle. Correct. Castles. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good song, but it's nothing earth shattering to start the album off. I think out of all these first three time albums, I'd pick this as the one song which you'd be like, really? This is a time song? Mm. It's just, it seems out of place. Well, you know, the original seven album that came out, the Condensate or whatever, there's that song in there, Strawberry Lake. That sounds very similar to this song. And I think Uh, that's what they were going for. It, It sounds like it has that same sort of sound about it, but. I think they base that song maybe off this because that's the closest that song is to a, like another time song that mm-hmm. I can think of. Yeah. Well, player, you said two things that perked my ears up. The first thing was the sound quality and that it sounds thin. Yeah, I completely agree with you, but I have no idea why. I could guess that maybe it was the mastering, maybe it was. It was Bernie Grumman mastered this album. Surely Bernie's going to put in a good job. That's true, but I guess I don't know how, who knows how the transfer to CD went. Mm, That's true. Yeah, it would have all been mastered for vinyl and it probably didn't get remastered for CD. That could be what it is. That could be one, yeah, actually, Captain, that could be one very likely possibility. The other likely possibility is that as many albums that suffered this fate in the kind of, I guess, mid-80s all the way up to about... 1990, 1991, maybe. It just wasn't a good time for CDs. You know, the, the 1990 to 1995-ish period seems to be the golden age for CDs based on what I can tell and from my reading and stuff. But like, yeah, this just didn't fall into that period. And when you listen to like Around the World in the Day, don't you get a similar vibe? A little bit, but... Like it's thin, right? Like Around the World in the Day is thin compared to what came before. Correct, yes. But at the same time, I think the first two time albums have more bottom end than this album. Correct. Mm-hmm. It's a weird yeah. thing. I don't know if that's the CD mastering like you're speaking of or if Prince, like I said, with this rivalry, deliberately made it so his record sounds a bit better than theirs. And I, I don't know, like uh-huh. maybe someone can help us out. Well, embarrassingly enough, when you talk about the bass being really thin, I wonder what it sounds like on the vinyl. And I have heard the vinyl copy that I've got, but I just for the life of me can't remember. I've been listening to the digital version for the last few days. And so I'm going to put that on, but unfortunately it's going to be too late for this review. So the other thing I was going to, I guess, agree with what Player said was that it's a, um, it doesn't sound, I think you said this, Player, or maybe it was Tojim, I can't remember. It doesn't sound like a time song. And it doesn't. And that's the thing that really... It just stopped me and still does stop me in my tracks. Every time I put this album on, I'm like, man, this sounds so much like a Prince song with Morris's voice on it. And Morris's voice doesn't really work. It's really weak, Morris's voice. On On the other tracks, he does a fine job. Here, he's doing the Prince guide vocal, I'm assuming. Yeah, But it, it just, yeah, it doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't come off. It's just like the song's really whimsical and he almost sounds like he's, he's I hate yeah. to say this, He's not phoning it in, but yeah, he's kind of like, all right, Prince, I'll do it. But 
Like, I want to do the funk. Look, as much as I like Morris, he's so much better at doing that funky stuff than he is doing this actual yes. singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying he's a bad yeah. singer, but he's a lot better at doing the other stuff that we like. Yeah, 100%. So that's kind of what it is. And that leads me into my thoughts, which are basically that this is a good opener, but I always think of this really clearly in my mind as a Prince song. The other material that The Time have put out, I can kind of say, yeah, all right, I know Prince wrote most of it, but it's, yeah, it's The Time. I can convince myself. But this one, I'm like, ah, this is just a Prince track. Uh, On to some positives, though. I actually think this is a good album opener. It's got a great groove. The timing of the drums is really good. Uh, Maybe the musicians on the panel can tell me exactly, you know, what the signature is and all this sort of stuff. Probably not too hard to figure out. But I like the way that Prince has placed the drums into the song. They're really, they're they're almost like, and he, he does this plenty of times, and I've mentioned this plenty of times. They sound slightly slower than they should be. And because of that, it gives them an interesting quality. You know um, what you just made me think of, which I didn't think of at all until right now? Mm. The first two albums sound like pretty much all drum machine. This album has live drums on yeah, some, if not all songs. Yes. Especially I didn't think of that either. some later tracks, the tempos are all over the place. But um, yes, I just thought of that right now. That live so drums true. right here. And it's cool having live drums in the mid-'80s, right? Because who the hell was doing it? Very few people. Yeah. Outside of big were, that were that were like heavily gated and like Phil Collins, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah or it was like hair metal and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's cool. And, you know, Prince is playing the drum. That's it. The other thing that we should point out here is Prince is a kick-ass drummer and he's got that feel, that Jamie Star feel on this album. And it's awesome. It's great to hear him on the drums. You don't always, you don't always get to hear it so clearly. He loves writing the cymbal, but I'll, I'll um, get to that in a later track. Look, mm-hmm. this is an airy, fun, summery, carousel-like groove. And it's got this super whimsical, hippie-esque lyrics about, in my opinion, people of different races and cultures getting together. And if there was ever a message in 2018 or these modern times for that to happen, that it's now. And um, yeah, it's just things are happening. You know, funky times are happening in Minneapolis and um, this song speaks to that. And so... You know, I don't have to go into all the details around chocolate and vanilla swirl. I'll leave that for another day. But well, that's my review. Well, what about what about the video with all the? There's an actual castle house. Hello. And all the girls in the swimsuits. It's not a bad video. Woo! <laughs> I like that video. Long live the '80s. Morris looks pissed off in that video. Yeah, Morris. Yeah, yeah it might have been a bit maybe, early maybe. in the day, maybe. Early in the day for for rock star Morris and his and his <laughs> high high living high flying lifestyle. Kojam, what are your thoughts on this one? I was just about to say we've already done twenty minutes on the first track and we haven't ever got to Tojam yet. It's almost as long <laughs> oh, as that man. rehearsal. Okay, uh, okay, ice cream castle. Um, first thing I want to say is I agree castles. with m- ice cream castle. Ice cream castles. That's twice I've done that. That's quite embarrassing. <laughs> First thing I want to say is I kind of agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. It doesn't strike you straight away as a time song. Um, I think this one was recorded in January of 84. So by that stage, I th- believe they're you know well and truly into the filming of the Purple Rain movie, which we already know by that point, you know, the time doesn't exist. So this song is essentially recorded after you know Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis are gone. And um, I believe at that point, it's just Jesse Johnson, Morris and Prince that are sort of left. And Jelly Bean, obviously. Now, Jelly Bean's not on the track, so we're down to three. We're down to Jesse, Prince and Morris. And um, Jesse, I believe, worked on a bit of this song. And um, he apparently came up with the bass line part, which is playing on the offbeats that, that, that 
that so when I first heard it, listening to it for this review, I was thinking, are they actually playing on the on the beat or is it just the offbeat? And then I, I read um, Prince Fault and, and they confirmed what, what my ears were telling me, that Jesse Johnson is just playing the offbeats. And that's apparently something that Prince quite liked, uh, according to Jesse Johnson. So that's kind of the, the genesis of, of the groove of this song. It's, I just find it a bit whimsical, a bit repetitive, that ice cream castle just... Oh man, after a minute of that, it's that's enough. I got the idea, but it just sort of runs all the way through the song. It's kind of empty. There's there's parts in the song where there's just not a lot happening. It tries to jam out at the end a bit. Some of it's okay. Like that organ is nice. It sounds kind of parade era oh, yeah. organ solos. That's kind of cool. But like the chant, you know, let's do something. Let's do something soon. I mean, you know, that ain't no party up chant like we like the, <laughs> the time are known for. Like yeah, so it's just kind of – I think the song's too long. I think they should have made it like just a two- or three-minute thing rather than this long, extended, boring jam. You say it's empty. It's I think like it's quite a, empty, it's, yeah. It's, it's like ice cream. It's just empty calories. That's it's just, <laughs> calories. It's, yeah. That's what it is. It's just sugar, yeah. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> uh, I agree with Captain. I think there's some nice rhythm guitar going on, and, and I agree that the sound of that guitar is nice and clean, really cool. It's got some Dirty Mind kind of quaver synths going on as well, faintly in the background. That's kind of cool. Uh, you've got some apocalyptic imagery as always. You know, let's come together before the end. You know, Prince loves singing about the end in this 80, early 80s. Oh, he just reminded um, me. It's like Dance Electric. He did that in a yeah, kind of similar time. Exactly. <laughs> Dance Electric and Ice Cream Castles has all this apocalyptic imagery. <laughs> I really liked the the version that he was doing from 2012 onwards where he was starting to mash it up with Mutiny. Um, I think there's the Arsenio Hall performance with all those horns and you get some of the Ice Cream Castles riff in that as well. That's one of my favorite live performances, TV performances. That's cool. So I like the fact that it came back bigger and better um, 20 years later. But, you know, for the time, this was kind of weak. This was like watered down ice cream. Yeah. Oh, melted ice cream. Melted ice cream. That's right. <laughs> Melted diet ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what a surprise. As usual, we spent way too long on the first track. No, not something. I think Tojem hit on something. How are you saying that it kind of goes on and for a bit too long? Like the f- all the time albums are really only six songs long. The Vanity album was the same, I believe. Even Sheila E's album. A lot of the side albums are only like six songs, so three songs each side. So like they really had to draw them really? out. So I guess they're more like extended jams, but like when it comes to a song like this, which should have been like single length, you know, they have to kind of stretch it out just to fill it with content. Yeah. So you just raised something that kind of slowly, subtly starting to possibly blow my mind here, which is when you said, you know, why does it sound, why does this record sound thin? doesn't have that low end and, you know, did Prince do that on purpose and all this sort of stuff. And then the comment you made about or the observation around all of the protege albums, especially from this era, being relatively short, I'll take your idea and just kind of... Play devil's advocate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. Like what if not only what you're saying is is what you're saying true or even partially true, but what if Prince did that on purpose because he didn't want... Prince is a scholar of music, right? He understands that to have a classic record, you also need classic record length. You need the 9, 10 tracks minimum generally. You can get away with eight, but, you know, the 9, 10, sometimes 12, double album, even better. 
he understands that philosophy. He knows he's gone to school, right? So I'll just throw this question out there, even though we're not, it's got nothing to do with reviewing this record per se. Was that intentional or even uh, part of his decision making? What, what, what's the shortest Prince and number of tracks on a Prince album? Is it eight? Eight? Yeah, eight. No, news four. Even, not, well, not, yeah, forget okay. news. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> commercial. Commercial. Oh, one, see, love, sexy. See, love, love 61. <laughs> love 61 track. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You've blown my theory out of the water. No, but no, quite, quite seriously, though. That could have been a play on Prince's part, ever the ever the move, right? Ever the um, genius move. Because what happens? But you, can, you can look at it the other way, though. If there's only six tracks, there's no space for filler. They've all got to be pretty good tracks. But they've all got. Oh, there's oh, plenty, wait, there's, there's, there's plenty space coming. on this one. <laughs> <laughs> but there's always filler, Captain. But the thing is, any decent ice cream has some filler. But the thing is. <laughs> Uh, Neapolitan, come on, let's go. Which could, one? Which could one could Prince have known this? And and if he did, was it a concerted effort on his part? Because I'm starting to think th- there's no way he could not have thought this. Sheila's album is going to be banging. The Times album is going to be banging. However, if I give them too much material or if we record too many songs here and it becomes a classic, it may upstage something else that's coming out by me. Therefore, he does the classic mm. album stuff, which is full-length material, but his protege is only ever that's that is genius. Now, this is a massive tangent on my part, and I'm going off player's <laughs> theory. However, it would not be surprising. Like, I can't think of a single full-length album that he pretty much produced for someone else that he put out commercially that was a big release. But anyway, I digress. Well, I'm gonna take your tangent and go even further. No, you're not really okay. <laughs> Everyone talks about how prolific Prince was, you know, like he put out 99, he put out the Time album and Vanity Six and all these albums, but they only had six tracks on them. He wasn't that, he wasn't that prolific, really. Yeah, they weren't full-length it's releases. Like it seems right. like a lot, you know, he put out three albums in three months under different things, but, you know, six tracks here, six <laughs> yeah, tracks there, it's not that much. Exactly. He's, he, put an album, he put out an album in 1988 and it was only one song, bloody hell. Yeah. Jeez. Lazy. <laughs> yeah. He could have put out nine songs, but he turned it into one song. That's how lazy he is. <laughs> but anyway, track number two is, of course, called, don't get the wrong idea, ladies, My Drawers. Take it away, player. Who's draws? My draws. Um, okay, so... I like the transition between the first song and this one. They kind of just mold into one another. I think that's oh, yeah. quite cool. Interestingly, as I said in the start of the show, the only songs I heard on this album initially were the ones on Purple Rain, which were Jungle Love and Bird. And I could not get a copy of this all the way up until the mid-90s. But I did hear this track because it was the B-side to the Chocolate mm. Maxi CD single. And so... Yes. Wow. That was the first time I heard this song. It wasn't on this album, but on the B-side of Chocolate. But this was also the B-side to something on this album as well, wasn't it? I think so. One of the other singles on this album was the B-side for that too. Yeah. Oh, it's been Um, twice. Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, you hear a song like Chocolate and then it's back to back with this. You you definitely, again, hear that thinness. But this is a really cool song. I really like the lead line on this song. I like the guitar. It's kind of that really 1999 Purple Rain era Prince guitar and the drums, the, the fills. Morris Day is great on the drums. He, the fills are great. 
No, it's. Yeah. It, I mean, like the drums are really stand out. Like it's, it's, it's got good fills and and all that. Morris, a funky drummer. Oh, Morris is an awesome drummer. And I've got in my notes here. This song is sophisticated. Not it's not because it's a, a sophisticated song, but just in in terms of its arrangement. There's a lots lots of things going on all at once, but it, it all seems to like fit like a puzzle. So when you listen to it, it's not like oh that sounds odd or whatever. It just sounds like it's part of the song. So. It's sophisticated in its terms of arrangement. I really like that. So I really like this song. It's a good song, but again, it just sounds thin. <laughs> okay. With that, take it away, Toje. I think this is a sort of a solid track. It's probably the third best song on the album. It's got a classic knee-deep sort of synth hook line. Yes. Has, you know, that's just all over 1982, 83, 84, 85. You're stealing my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's a classic 1984 wash of synths. You know, it reminds me of songs like Sugar Walls, like just just these big wash of crazy synths. It's got a real bluesy, distorted bass and guitar riff. It runs through the song and then it goes to that minor six, that da-da-da-da, That's kind of cool, but gets a little bit repetitive again. Listen, I reckon, to the background synths, the semiquavers going on behind the guitar solo. Jesse plays yes, a crazy yes, guitar solo on this. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and the guitar solo pans from left to right during that, yeah. Oh, yep. Cool, I hadn't noticed that. But, yeah, there's like the background synths just real faintly in the background doing these really fast semiquavers. That's really cool, that stuff. This song just reminds me of so many Prince songs. Like I can't think of them specifically, yeah. but it's just got that sound. It's got the kind of chords he's using. It's got the sounds. It's got the drums. It's got the solos. Uh, there's one line there. There's that descending line that, da, 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 that sort of runs down, and that just reminds you of so many things Prince was doing that at that time. Da, 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 da. What, what's that? It's some Sheila E song. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, what is that from? And I think the song Oh Sheila, which Prince had nothing to do, but it was sort of like an, an homage to the Prince-Sheila yeah. collaboration. Like it had a line just like that. Uh, so there's just so many things that just smack of 1984. So, I mean, in the plethora of 1984 songs, it's not like the most memorable thing, but it's something that when you hear it, you go, yeah, that that's, you know, that's the Minneapolis sound, that that's Prince in the time. So it's a good song for that. And it's got a funny ending. It just stops and someone walks down a hallway <laughs> yeah. or something. <laughs> cut yeah this is a nasty groove that's for sure and i have to say that i can't from the minute this song begins to the very moment that toe jam just described as this abrupt ending i'm just bobbing my head to this like a maniac when i first heard this i thought it was prince on the drums again we know it's morris now but to players comments the drums are sick <laughs> Save the clock tower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the drums are sick. There's no there's no bells in this song, but there are on the podcast if you listen carefully enough. But the, the drums are sick on this song. Filthy, filthy guitar playing by Jesse Johnson with a guitar solo. It is ridiculous. He is a maniac on the axe. He's such a unique guitar player. I don't know what it is. Like not necessarily what he plays, but his sound. I don't know what he's what he does. Whether it's a combination of strings, pedals, and effects, and style. I don't, whatever, it doesn't matter. Let's not intellectualize it too much. He's, he sounds freaking awesome on this. And um, his soloing throughout is, is kind of otherworldly. So, bam, there, I said it. This is one of the best songs on this album, without a doubt. The only thing I will say is... Wait, hold up. Did you say this is the best song in this album? No, no, no. One of the best songs on this album. Oh, one of. Okay. Yeah, one of. Yeah, one of. Uh, You're saving it for chili sauce, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. 
Uh, I do like it hot, but yeah, Toja mentioned <laughs> Toja mentioned that there was so much material released, it's not top shelf material necessarily. And I think it's only this is only the case because of how much music Prince released. Because I could see that if Prince released less material in 1984, this could have been a minor pop hit, certainly on mm. the uh, maybe quote with unquote, uh, R&B chart. I think I would say musically potentially, but not with Morris's vocal and the lyrics. No, it would have to be someone else's think, vocal, yeah. Yeah, I think if you if – you, no, no offense to Morris, but I think if you strip away the lyrics and that Morris Day persona and you put like, you know, Sheena Easton or something like that on it, like you have a potential hit or like mini hit, you know. Yeah, Sheena singing my drawers though. <laughs> no, no, no. So I'm saying like scrap the lyrics. Just, you know, you take oh, just the, the groove. Lyrics, okay. Yeah. Like a, oh, like yes, a different yes, yes. lead vocal, different, different song but the same groove, you know. Yeah. Like this song sounds – it's so – early 80s Prince. It could have gone to Vanity or Apollonia. It ended up going mm. to the time. But yeah. with a female vocal, you know, maybe different lyrics, it could have done something. I mean, this this reminds me of, this could have easily been a female vocal if mm. this song had gone somewhere else. All right. Well, speaking of going somewhere else, Captain, keep going. You're on the you're on, on the roll. What are your thoughts? Uh, <laughs> oh, let's go. <laughs> Like Player said, this just continues on from the last track. It's like the same note, the same key. The last song ends, this one goes, and it just it just keeps going. And I just think of this as a it's just a continuation of the first track, but it's just gone rock. That's cool. So yeah, we got Morris Day on drums. This is the only track on the album Morris plays drums. So that's something. Jesse Johnson on the guitars, which gives this the pretty heavy rock sound. Guitar solo is pretty crazy. It's there's some funkadelic stuff in there it's either knee deep or get off your ass and jam there's very similar things going on and it's very cool but this song is just classic early prince classic minneapolis sounds rock guitars and no one picked up on this yet but oh, a few uh, there was hints of it the main hook of this song it's so similar to a bunch of things he did but the one that i picked up was if i was your girlfriend go and listen to that oh yeah you're right yeah there's some very similar bits there which he reused yeah. in that. So that's cool. And I'd never noticed that until a few days ago. I was listening to it and I'm like, because from the first time I heard this song, I'm like, this sounds like a bunch of things. But it wasn't until a few days ago I'm like, oh, that's what it is. Even like 17 days. Uh, 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 17 days, same thing. Yep. Uh, see, again, you talk about prolific, but there were so many things which were very similar, but just different enough. For people to go, oh, look how many songs he wrote. But like, at least half of them were almost the same. You could say that about almost anyone, really. But that's that's you know that's um that's the personality. Like you know, you listen to enough, you listen to an artist long enough, you start to pick up little tricks and things that they yeah. do. Like, not a bad thing. It's it's kind of like, well, that's their sound, you know. That's their signature thing, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, again, this track is also sort of similar to so many things. And yeah, you got the big guitar solo panning left and right all over the place that happens later on with other things on this album and we'll get to that soon all right let's go into i was gonna say song but i'll call it track number three it is of course called chili sauce chili sauce and i'm gonna hand this one over to toe jam take it away 
Well, I specifically remember getting this album and seeing that title, Chili Sauce, and having uh, an idea of the times doing crazy funk dancing where they call out Chili Sauce and then they do this slide and everything. And I'm thinking, this mm. is going to be the shit, this song. If this is the song, <laughs> Chili Sauce. Yeah, we, got one, we got one word, right? <laughs> it turned out to be just <laughs> shit. Yeah. And, of course, it comes on. and it, I mean, it starts very, very similar to The Beautiful Ones. It's like The Beautiful Ones light drum beat and it's just this slow thing with this comedy over the top now the comedy is funny the first time you hear it but we've said this before <laughs> about these kind of songs is that once you've heard it two or three times it no longer becomes funny it's just sort of noise because the music underneath is actually yeah. quite nice and i would love to hear this as an instrumental with just that violin by novi novog prince's guitar solos they're just you know moving around on different chords doing some interesting things. Reminds me of the uh, instrumental track on the Apollonia album in a Spanish villa, same kind of thing. But it's just kind of ruined by the the comedy over the top of it. Um, so I would really love to hear this as an instrumental. I don't know if it exists, but I'd like to hear it. With the comedy stuff, like I said, there are some funny things. You've got, it's kind of like, a, you know, the Seinfeld Chinese restaurant episode where they're going in and they've got the stereotype Asian um, waiter who takes them to the table and he's he's kind of cheesed off with Mr. Day. And I like the fact when um, he says something uh, like, you know, they don't have a table for him and, and Morris is just like, Jerome, and Jerome beats him up or something. Oh, no, no, we've got a table. We've got a table for you. And then he says something to the girl. I can't remember what he says, but then the girl's like, oh, I don't know. And then he's like, Jerome. It's like, you know, he's going to get Jerome to beat up the girl as well. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> uh, so like, that's funny, that stuff. And uh, I like that line where the um, the waiter goes, you know, mumbles under his breath, like, oh, what I wouldn't give for a broken bottle. It's funny. Uh, you got some of the, you know, the classic Morris Day references in there that found their way in the Purple Rain movie with the, you know, he's got the Italian cook, Scragagacci or something like this, the brass waterbed <laughs> that he's, he's trying to do. And so, I mean, it's all there, little little things. But like I said, it just, it's so skippable, this thing. Like the moment it comes on, just reach for the skip button, save yourself a few minutes. Once you, if you, you know, listen to it once, by all means, listen to it once, get the humor, have a laugh, done, skip. Wow. Okay. Um, not entirely surprised, but to your point, it is funny the first time you hear it. I actually get all, because I listen to this album infrequently, I actually don't think it gets old, but that's purely because I don't hear it that often. I think the music is actually pretty cool. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this is one of those weird genius Prince moments where although it may not be best served by being a song on this album, if you can even call it a song, I do like the fact that it's here because it shows a few things. It shows Prince's sense of humor, especially in the context of him not really doing as much funny stuff on his own albums. So that's a tick in my book. The other thing that this does is it shows his dexterity as a musician. Some of the piano playing, the sprinkling piano and some some eerie synth stuff and Novi obviously on the violin. It's pretty eerie and it's a little bit left, well, it's definitely left of center compared to the rest of the material that he was recording at the time. But it shows, I don't want to overdo it, but what I will say, it shows Prince's versatility as a musician and the kind of the more serious compositional side of what he's doing. Now, again, Novi gets a lot of credit here because I think adding and the viola and all this sort of stuff, the overdubbing is really good. You know, in case we've all forgotten, she's the one who arranged the strings on uh, the Purple Rain album. On the there you go. Song. How could how could I have forgotten? And also throughout Around the World in the Day. Raspberry Beret. Yeah. So, yeah, so Novi's contribution, you know, her playing is fantastic and it adds a great, you know, she's a serious musician, right? Serious, not only good at what she does, but 
classical musician, as they call, or they refer to it as serious music. And this shows Prince is serious music, but it's the serious music is buried underneath all of the hot air of uh, <laughs> Jerome Benton and Morris Day and Prince, Mr. Scagliacci himself. <laughs> so yeah, look, it takes the album from, it, it was heading into a better direction and it kind of slows it down. And yeah, I don't know where we end up halfway at the halfway point. So um, no no gold medals from me, but interesting nonetheless. All right, play up. Definitely interesting. It's, I mean, let's call it what it is. It's a five-minute skit. It's pure filler. It's wasted on this album. But it's, you know, there, there are moments I laughed at this. I was listening to this today and I was still pissing myself at some of the things that were saying, like, <laughs> you know, him having the virgin and yes, yes, we're remodeling and all this sort of stuff, you know. it's just I just crack up at some of them. But, you know, it just goes way too long. Like, it's really an audio version of that scene in Purple Rain where he's sitting down with Apollonia. And, you know, it's trying to perpetuate this image of Morris as this player-type guy and, you know, the coolness and, you know, it's really to reinforce that. It's like, if you don't know the character of of Morris and who he is, like, you know, this kind of explains it all and how, you know, Jerome's his sidekick and all that. So like it's, there is a narrative to it that is just kind of a little bit deeper than what the song, if you call it that, is. I agree with Toe Jam. Like the piano playing underneath is awesome. It's very condition of the hard-esque. It's, you know, the violin, Novi Novog. It's, and like, because it's set in a restaurant, you know, if you're not paying attention to it, and a lot of times I'm not because I'm listening to the dialogue, and you just think, okay, it's just background music in a restaurant. But if you actually pay attention to it, and I agree with Toe Jam, I'd love to hear an instrumental version of this because there's, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff that's going on and you just don't really pick it up. And I, I get distracted with the actual skit. Like I start to listen, I start to hone in on the music and I really want to listen to it. But then some joke comes up and then I'm distracted by that and I kind of, <laughs> you know, I'm not listening exactly. to the music again. So I really want to just hear it as it is, because I think it would be very interesting, you know, even like pre parade era, you know, it just, it just kind of has that piano and niceness about it. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. It's not a ballad. It's a skit. Yeah. It's, it's very hard to kind of describe, but like, it's just, it's just filler more than anything. Yeah. The thing else also is um, from memory, this, the actual background music was recorded like a, a lot earlier, like probably 83 sometime. And I'm, you know, I'm guessing the dialogue stuff is put over the top later. So, you know, it might not even ever potentially, it might not have ever in originally have intended to be a time song. It's just been turned into one by yeah. virtue of the fact that it's filler. For sure. I have no more in this song. Like played out. <laughs> All right. Captain, round out our thoughts on this with your thoughts. Ah, good evening, Mr. Day. Two for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> it's so freaking funny. The accent is just so dumb. I don't know what it's supposed to be, but it's it's great. Oh man, it is so funny. Okay, first of all, Novi Novog on violin. It's great. And second, this is up there with the best comedic performances by by Prince. It's just so damn funny. It is funny. Let me just say two tracks, and that's what this song is the precursor to. One, Hallucination Rain. And mashed potato girl segue. <laughs> Those two tracks come from here. I'm I'm saying it now. Forget the beautiful ones. <laughs> yeah, forget the, what's that? The violin on this just are oh, some parts of it. I'm just like it's hallucination rain. It, it sounds just like it. Probably not, but that's what it reminds me of. 
the music, it's sort of like Toe Jam said, it was recorded, you know, it's not 1984. It's earlier. It could have been, it's sort of international lover, like the sort of chords he's playing, the piano stuff. Yeah. yeah. Sort of ballady, but not. And ah, oh, like Player said, it also sounds sort of parade era with the piano, like Condition of the Heart or Venus de Milo or something. It's just mm. Prince's piano style playing. You can hear it so obviously in this track. Captain, the, the instrumental or the, the musical component of this song, I think if we refer to our notes from our favorite friend from America, Mr. Purple Wayne Blaine, Tudal, it's a what, like early 83, he started tracking this, the music mm. for what we, we would eventually hear. This He could have just recorded this as an instrumental and maybe he was going to put lyrics to it later. Maybe it was just something he did. And this is where it ended up. But there's, there's so many classic lines in this, like from the movie as well with his, I have a brass water bed and just, and the Italian thing. Uh, it's just classic Prince comedy. That's what this is. Maybe like, you can't say this is filler. You can't say this is filler. It's talking about prolific. There's really only five songs on this album. If this is filler. <laughs> I think this is filler. I mean, if you've seen the movie, you don't really need to like, it's the same thing. You don't need to see this. It's just, Oh, uh, but you need to hear that violin. You need to hear Novi Novog. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, but you don't because there's all the stuff over the top of it. But you cannot listen to Morris. <laughs> you can try. <laughs> Pretty hard. You Maybe, need to listen to this song like three times. You need to just listen through to it once, hear everything. Then go back and listen just to the talking and laugh your head off. Then go third time, just the music. There you go. That's what you can do. <laughs> Maybe Warner Brothers can take this, strip everything off it, and release it as piano microphone prints. Another Prince track. <laughs> Make an yeah. album out of it. Oh, it's a whole album. Uh, it's only five minutes long. That's all right. We'll release this as an album. Yeah. It can be titled <laughs> Timeless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the best thing ever. Timeless. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Prince Timeless. <laughs> Morris Day would love that. <laughs> oh man, you kill me. Actually, that's a great al- album title for <laughs> an an entire album of every piece of music Prince ever did for the time, just as released as a compilation. Yeah, just put out all the Prince versions of the time tracks and call it timeless. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. A state. Comerica. That's an idea. And you say we never have any good ideas. Whichever <laughs> bank's running the freaking show this week, there's your idea. Right Just make there. sure make sure we're in the liner notes of the booklet. Thank you, Peach and Black yeah. Podcast. Yes. There you go. Moving on. That'll just okay. be another idea that we said on the show, which actually happens, and we get no money. What a surprise. <laughs> How many times is this is going to happen? Oh, Oh, moving on. Moving on, moving on. All right, track number four. <laughs> track number four. <laughs> Things are about, Side are two. Side two of the album. Side two. Oh, side two. Side get two. your vinyl ready, fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Who's had someone tapping on his window in, in Tamworth? <laughs> side B, track D, or whatever it is. So just, uh, I'm just getting really hot up in here, kind of like a jungle. What? Oh. Uh, the next song, Jungle, yeah, Jungle Fever. James Brown. Jungle, Jungle Love. <laughs> yeah. The song is called Jungle Love. We're called Peach and Black, and we're going to talk about it. Let's do it. Player, go in. 
Okay, from the outset, yes, this song has cowbell. There is cowbell in this song. <laughs> it's not a woodblock? It could be woodblock. It does sound a bit uh, woody in it. I said it's like bottle percussion, like someone tapping a bottle or something. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, Maybe we're talking about different bits. I'm talking about three quarters of the way through. Okay. It's a classic song, but the album version is way too slow for my liking. Like you hear all the live versions and all that, and it just when you come back to this version, it's just slightly slower. Just like uh, you know, I could just use the pitch bend and just speed this up a little bit. You know, I like the synths. I like Jesse's solo, and that's what makes it for me in this album version. Otherwise, the live version is where it's at. I mean, this is really this is Jesse's song. Controversial. <laughs> this is Jesse's song, and it's a great song, and it was a hit. So. I mean, Prince had a tight leash around these guys, but he he managed to at least give Jesse like a, a look in and a writing credit. Which he then took back. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but, you know, yeah, he would normally credit himself or Jamie Starr or whatever as writers and all that sort of stuff. So I think there was a story about Jesse playing this for uh, on a cassette because he did it as a demo and he played it on a cassette for Prince in his car. And Prince was like, like, yeah, like this is a shit kind of thing. So this is Jesse's song and Prince really liked it. And it became a hit, like one of the most well-known hits for the time. So it's, it's great. Great song. I love it. I just, I just like the live versions better. They just, they just seem to just have a bit more energy in them. All right. Captain, give us your thoughts. Ooh, this is such a funky track. How did he give this away? He could have easily kept this for himself. And, and- Are you talking about Jesse? Anyone. No, Prince. <laughs> Prince took it and gave it to the time, even though Jesse wrote it. But like, what was it like Party Up or something else, which was like Morris? Like early years, there were several tracks which weren't all Prince, but somehow now they're just Prince songs. But yeah, that's the way it goes. This song, funky guitar, funky synth bass, is a guitar in the right channel, right ear. It's very... Sly and the Family Stone. I think Player mentioned in another show, there's some guitar riff from and just chuck into songs. It's in here, it's in this song as well, even back then. And you got these long synth notes that just hang a bit longer than they should. That's just funky. Second verse, you get a few more synths coming in and you get to 229. It's just funk on a stick. It's good stuff. 244, as per usual, you've got the really weird synth part, which Prince will just throw in a song. And go, yeah, that's me doing my weird thing. That's how you know it's my song. It's some <laughs> weird shit. Uh, great solo. It's Jesse doing the solo, right? Yeah, it has to. It's his song. And the end as well. you got to love the end. But this song is just, um, oh, i got to disagree with Player about the speed. The speed is perfect. Some songs, you think they gain something. I think they lose something when they're done too fast. I remember I saw Swoop play Rock Dog which is like slow, funky song. They played it live. It was like way faster. And I'm just like, what the hell is this? This is not, (laughs) it just lost everything that it had. And it just sounded like nothing to me. But the the slow original version was great. I think this is just right. When I see it live, I'm like, it's too fast. It's not that much faster, but it's, I think that loses something when it's faster. Hmm. Interesting. Toe Jam. Are you digging the vibe on Jungle Love? Yeah, I, th- I think this is tied the best song on the album. Uh, I don't think there's any guesses on what the other one is. <laughs> this is uh, probably for most people, this is most people's first experience of the time, going to see Purple Rain. 
and seeing, you know, opening with Let's Go Crazy, which just blows your head off in that movie. And then straight after it, it goes into Jungle Love. And it's and it's like you're watching this movie and you're like, who the hell are these guys? Like I, I bought this movie to, you know, watch this because I've heard about Prince. And suddenly this comes on. You're like, what the hell is going on in Minneapolis? This place is funky. Like it's just a real groove. I mean, you hear that. You can imagine Jesse Johnson coming up with this and showing it to Prince. And I mean, you just be like, yes. I mean, that's where, that's us. That's, you know, that's the time. That's Minneapolis. That's, that's us. And, um, you know, so Prince has taken it from that original groove and then sort of molded it into more of a song. So he certainly gets some credit. I like the percussion in it. Play was saying about the cowbell. I like the beginning. There's kind of this bottle percussion, like tinkles. Kind of reminds me of um, like some of the Michael Jackson stuff, like um, it's uh, stuff. Yeah. yeah, that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the bass is just fat. you got those waves and waves and waves of synths again. Really cool stuff. I kind of agree with Player in that this has a bit of the, um, what, what I call the fury effect. Like, you know, when we yes. saw... Prince play Fury on um, Saturday Night Live. And just like, wow, again, blows your head off. The album comes out a few weeks later and it's a little bit slower and it's, oh, it's just kind of lost something. And I, I really feel that with mm-hmm. this. And um, I think the the movie version is just a better tempo, uh, more energetic performance. This is more of a, a studio version of the song, obviously. Yeah. But, I mean, in terms of the arrangement, the songwriting, the grooves, this is just classic 80s pop, really. This could fit on any... 80s pop hits of the 80s whatever you want to call it this would fit on there seamlessly you know Morris Day is kind of I think is made for this song I mean he still plays it today this is the song he plays people know it and and I remember you know Prince started playing this as well around the Welcome to America slash Canada slash Australia tour he started playing it again and I, I you know one of my favorite memories again is at that after show in Eden's Hill and he's playing Jungle Love just right in, in front of our face playing that guitar solo stuff so good. When it comes to the guitar solo in the studio version, the bass drops out for quite an extended time. So you're just having the, the drums essentially and uh, some synths and the solo. So it's kind of a bit different. But then, you know, when that bass comes back in, it's really vibrant again. It's a good little effect. But yeah, I mean, classic 80s pop song tied with the best song on the album. Wow. All right. A lot of high praise this song's getting. I don't yeah. see what the big deal is. Oh, oh man. Tasha, I'm, I'm joking. Come on. Man. <laughs> calm down. Shut calm up. down. Calm down. I don't want to see you no more. <laughs> you know what the song reminds me of also in terms of 80s songs? Everybody, something on the floor. We're all doing the dinosaur. <laughs> Walk the dinosaur. George Clinton. I have no idea what you're talking about. Was not was. I remember someone did a version of the dinosaur song and it just reminds, you know, Jungle Love, the dinosaur thing. It's like this sort of Sesame Street thing happening. Well, to me anyway, there's nothing Sesame Street about this, at least in my memory. I I don't have that as a reference point. But this is a stone cold, as Miley Cyrus would say, banger. (laughs) The groove is killer. No filler in the groove. I mean, meticulous groovesmanship. Let me say that. The chants, so freaking cool. Ice cold, as uh, Andre 3000 would say. Ice cold cool. Percussion effects are really cool. The nasty, nasty, nasty synths. And this really simple four-note thick bass line that just goes all the way throughout this track is awesome. Makes you want to do the funk face hardcore. And yeah, I mentioned cowbell. I actually noticed the cowbell for the first time in the last few days when I was listening to this. I never picked it up before, even though it's so obvious, I know. But I had headphones on and I was cranking it up loud and the cowbell came through loud and clear in the mix. Man, you guys have pretty much said everything about this. What I will say is this is probably my favorite time song ever. I can't think of Ooh. I can't think of a single track that I jam to more than this. 
What about 777? Yeah, I'd go 777. No. No? Wow. This is a more iconic song, but that one's a better one. Yeah, no, I just think this is this is possibly the best time song ever, they've ever done. Over 777, all of that is, that is awesome as well. This is the one for me. It's just filthy. This, and, you know, the more I start to think about it, there's something about Jesse. He brings an element of grit and filth to anything yeah. that he's involved with. Yeah, he does. Uh, he's awesome. And he really does not get enough praise and um, enough of a spotlight. Like, the, yes, there are so many people that deserve more said about them and written about them, but he has to be somewhere at the top of that list because his contributions are so filthy, funky all the time, and he rocks out like an absolute mofo. He's just <laughs> he's just a beast. He's a beast musician. And, you know, when we saw him, uh, well, I say we, uh, Player and I were at Soul Fest. I don't know if you guys were there, but maybe you've caught D'Angelo over the last few years, but when Jesse plays with him, it is a trip every time. You know, Jesse's yeah. done some really good stuff on his own as well. It's a shame that he left the band in uh, kind of mid-1984 and there was that whole credits issue and rights issue with regards to his contribution to the song and all this sort of stuff. He loves, it's a real damn he shame. Loves, he loves leaving bands. He's left the <laughs> time like three times. Yeah. Yeah, I think and even with D'Angelo, he was kind of in and out. But the thing is, the thing that's undeniable about him, and I, the reason I'm talking about him so much is, is yes, it was a demo. Yes, it was an idea and a rough mix. But the foundations for this track were laid by Jesse. And um, this is one of the funkiest things I've ever heard by anyone, I think. So yeah. it's just so good. It's just so, so good. So, so good to the ear every, every time it comes on. I do agree with you guys that it's a little bit watered down compared to maybe some kick-ass live versions and things like that, like the movie, blah, blah, blah. Do you think that's – I haven't heard Jesse's later stuff. Is this one of his best compositions? I would say he, so. He does a lot of good stuff. Even his solo stuff's really good. I'll have to listen to his albums. Yeah, they're great. For me, though, Captain, yeah, yeah I think this is one of his best. I don't know. He's got some pretty good yeah. material, but this is one of his best compositions. But what I will say as well is it's all about that breakdown in this song. And you guys know what I'm talking about. On the guitar, one of my favorite guitar solos ever. Ever. Just so good. Just musically, it works so well. It's very Eddie Hazel-esque in parts. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just craziness at its core. Jungle love. It's interesting. Just thinking about it now, like, you know, in the Minneapolis scene, it's not like he's just able to handpick the best musicians in the world. He's like, you know, he's coming out of Minneapolis and he's sort of got these group of people around him. I don't know if Jesse's actually from Minneapolis, but, you know, you kind of get this idea that it's just kind of this ragtag team. And I think Jesse, you kind of get the feeling like he's a bit of his, as a free spirit on his own. He's mm. probably not like some of the other cats in that circle that you could really kind of, you know, just become a yes man, a prince yes man kind of thing. Like that's kind of the impression yeah. I get. I'm with you, Tojum. I think Jesse's the kind of guy that probably doesn't take no shit. Yeah. <laughs> and at yep. the end of the day, 100%. you really got to respect people like that because to stand up to anyone, but to stand up to a guy like Prince who might have something to say, that takes you know, that takes some guts, right? So without going overly political, I think it comes out in his playing too. How cool is that sort of serendipitous moment where like you've got this kid from Minneapolis, Prince, like growing up, but like the people around him, are, you know, they're amazing musicians as well, like Jesse and stuff. Like, you know, how rare, mm. like special that kind of, you know, they just sort of intertwine and they just sort of came in and you know, into each other's lives. And it's just amazing, like, how all that mm. kind of played out. And just, like, yeah. the level of musicianship. And they just sort of sort of chance. It wasn't like, oh, I guess maybe 
I think Morris auditioned and went back to Prince and said, there's this guy called Jesse. So there was, there was a kind of audition, but you know, how just these people just kind of cross paths and it's just fascinating. Can you imagine Jesse Johnson coming into a rehearsal, like an early rehearsal and Prince is the man and Jesse Johnson, you know, you kill a guitar player. Could you imagine like, there would be a really interesting vibe between Prince and Jesse Johnson, both knowing <laughs> that their mother's on the guitar and both yeah. of them would want to be trying to show the other up all the time. That's the kind of impression, the imagination I would have. Yeah, the thing about that, Toe Jamie, is I'm kind of surprised that Prince allowed a guitarist of Jesse's stature and ability even like to be in the band in the first place. I mean, note for note, <laughs> on his best day, Jesse could you know pretty much play with the best of them. You know, so, I just read I just read pretty, something in the last day or two, but when Prince was watching, as they were filming Purple Rain, they'd go back and they'd watch what they'd filmed. Prince was watching the live stuff that they'd just, you know, lip-synced or performed, and he couldn't take his eyes off them. And he said to whoever was with him, like, director, he's like, Prince said, there's something about these guys. I, I don't know what it is, but I can't stop looking at them. And that's just, he created that monster. <laughs> Yeah. himself yeah, and then it just insane. got way bigger than i think he ever thought it was going to be wouldn't it be great funny. to get a fully like well produced pro shot concert video of the time from 1983 or something like that just going oh, yeah. playing all that classic material including this sort of stuff i don't know whether they ever had a show like that but that would be fantastic all right let's keep it moving and uh got a song number five on this release it is called if the kid can't make you come Here we go. Let's go. You know, I'm being professional about this. I'm reading the title, but that wasn't easy even for me. All right. <laughs> Wait till you get to the lyrics. Captain, you said here we go. I'm gonna hand it over to you. I'm gonna hand it over to you. Okay. This song. Oh. First, Jesse Johnson on drums, apparently. Mm. So yes. So then the funny thing about that is the tempo in this track gets faster and faster as the song goes. I don't know if that's on purpose or if that suits the theme of the song. I don't know. It could. That could be very smart. I don't know. But the lyrics aren't great, but the music. (laughs) What an understatement. The music is pretty funky. There is some good stuff going on. If you just tune out, Morris. Now, this is seven and a half minutes. The actual version's over nine minutes, but there's two edits in this. You might have heard them. One's about 2.43, another one's at 5.52. If you really need to hear the full version, it exists in the world, so go find it. But here is my issue with the the lyrics. This just doesn't make sense to me. Okay, this song, listen, this song is sung by Morris Day, Mm -hmm. yet he spends seven and a half minutes explaining that nobody but Prince can do it for the woman that he's with. I don't understand that. I don't understand that either. You basically read I just don't get it. What sort of relationship do these two guys have? It's very strange. (laughs) I I don't get it. Because it's well established by 1984. The movie's out. Prince is the kid. So Morris is with this woman (laughs) saying, nobody can make you come except the kid. It's very strange. (laughs) This is not the case, but it would be hilarious if it was. If... Prince was telling Morris the whole time while they were filming the movie, yeah, yeah, your character's going to be called the kid. And I'm, and so, and then Morris comes up with this song, like, <laughs> and then they flip it in the end. So. <laughs> and then he swaps it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's just, you know, since the early drafts of writing Purple Rain, Prince was the kid, the character. So to have a song 
with this title would make total sense if Prince was singing it, but that's not his style. But to have anyone else sing it, it's just weird, especially Morris. Anyway. <laughs> it's weird. Okay, the music. I love the guitar all the way through this. Uh, it's just good. The synth hook comes in just after three minutes. It, that reminds me of another track, and I still haven't figured out what it is yet. Some very cool guitar comes in 440, and it, everything just gets funky real fast. It's good. And then 522, the piano comes out and the funky guitar chords change a bit. That's good stuff. Just like the other song we said before, an instrumental version of this would be very nice. Uh, six minutes in, bass time, bit of bass. Seven minutes in, it's getting really funky. And then it just cuts off and, oh, it's sad. But you listen where those edits are that I mentioned before and you can hear the tempo change. And both times it gets faster and faster. And if you find the nine plus minute version, it's not so noticeable because it just slowly, very slowly over nine minutes gets slightly faster. But with those edits, it's just bang, it's faster, like just a bit, but you can hear it. What is it they're actually cutting out? Not That's what I was saying to Tojan before. Nothing really that I could figure out. It's not like it's extra lovable and they edited out the rape section. It's not mm. like that. It's just, I don't know. It might've been a vinyl fitting on one side of the vinyl, I don't know. No, I haven't looked I at the times, so. but the album's not that long anyway. So I don't know. For whatever reason, it got a bit of an edit. Hmm. Well, there's one to figure out. Toe Jam, what are your thoughts on this? I like this song. I, I don't listen to the lyrics at all. I just listen to the music. Lucky you. I think this is <laughs> kind of the sleeper on the album. Like Captain said, this song gets funky. It starts off, it comes on, you think, oh, it's another one of these kind of lackluster time ballads that don't really go anywhere. But this one does. <laughs> it just gets funky. That's the best way to put it. Yep. It starts sounding like Larry Graham's hair or thank you for letting me be myself again, that Ooh, sort of stuff. It is a bit Larry, isn't it? It's definitely a bit Larry, yeah. It's real bluesy. You get that sus piano chords, that dun, 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 that sort of thing starts happening. And those speed-ups, like um, there's an interesting story told by Jesse about this, how this my recollection is that Prince was originally playing the drums and apparently there was some wine being passed around the studio and someone was starting to get a bit tipsy and he was speeding up. And so then they gave it to Morris and then Morris was speeding up. And so Jesse's <laughs> like, well, that's why I ended up doing it. But then you listen to it, it's like, it's still speeding up. So I don't know what's going yep. on. Um, <laughs> so I don't know what's going on with those edits. I mean, it wouldn't even surprise me if it was just like a bit of a gag, like, hey, listen to how much we speed up, like chuck this edit in. So it just suddenly <laughs> changes. Um, the one little interesting lyric I, I kind of think is interesting is where he's saying this little hook went to France and this little hook went to London. You know, that's real kind of a Prince kind of thing, like where he's saying, you know, these little songs that I'm writing, you know, they're going out to the world and they're going out to different artists. Uh, interesting way to put it. But yeah, it's got that live band sound, acoustic piano, funky guitars, funky bass, bass solo at six minutes or so, 610 around there. Just really cool stuff. So I think this is a bit of a sleeper musically. Again, I would love to hear this as just an instrumental. Uh, but it's a, funky, it's a funky track. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You're a timeless uh, player. What are your thoughts on if the kid can't make you come? Uh, oh, okay. Straight off the bat, that slinky bass intro that just ooh, it just kind of goes. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. It's Larry. It's Larry. It is. It is very Larry esque. <laughs> if Larry can't make you come, <laughs> <laughs> one in a million. Get your tail ready. There it goes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Get your towel ready. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't want to be more like if Larry can't make your thumb. But no. 
There's a lot of people okay. listening to our podcast on the way to work and they've just lost their breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm kind of torn by this. There's some interesting musical ideas in it and there's some bad ones as well, but it's ruined overall by these cheesy song lyrics about straddling Morris's brass and titty time and don't ever try to <laughs> breastfeed no baby and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> no, that's a classic line. If ever heard of I love that. Yeah, that's just like. And that's what she says. She says like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Never mind." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like there's a so, joke there, but I'm not saying it. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange. Like, if you think of this album, and it technically has two ballads, one chili sauce, which is a, really a skit, and there's mm. this, where it's not really that romantic either. So, like, technically there's no ballads on the album, but there is. It's just a, it's just a weird thing. I don't know. It's just, I can't describe it's it. It's like Morris can do the funk. Look, he just can't pull off a ballad, so just make it funny. No, he can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, you probably hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Um, that edit that you're talking about, it's really noticeable. I got it as 241, but it's it kind of it's yeah. like a fade out almost. It fades out. It's and a it's little like... fade out and a fade in that they don't even keep the beat. It's they just miss it. So it's that's why it's so obvious. When I heard it, I actually thought, oh, is my file corrupt? That was my first thought. When I heard it, I thought, oh, someone bumped the mixing desk in the in the mastering or something because it's so. It's like, yeah. oh. It's like someone mm. pulled down a fader and, oh, oops, you, I should push are that. You suggesting, are you suggesting someone got excited while listening to this in the mixing room, player? Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. These edits could yeah. have been wine-related as well. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I mean, this song is just Morris's pillow talk. It's way too long, seven minutes. And that's speeding up and slowing down and speeding up at, towards the end. What What is that called? Is that called perpetual motion or... I don't know. It's this is audio perpetual motion. It makes me dizzy that end section. By the time it gets to the end, it's just rolling around in my head, and it's like, ah, oh, it's mm. distracting. I don't like that part. That's it's partly that, but I think that's also the guitar as well, because there's lots of like guitar noodling, and a lot of it just keeps going around and around and around. Yeah, it goes around and around, and it's like, yep. oh man, like I need to get off. <laughs> that's <laughs> let me know, off it's, this train. Let me, yeah, let me off because yeah, it's it's I get to that point within yeah the last couple of minutes of this song. It's just like oh, I gotta I, I can't I gotta skip this to I gotta get to mm. bird now kind of thing. So <laughs> yeah, I think the technical term that you're looking for is filler actually because yeah, no. yeah it is filler. Yeah. This song does very little for me. I would actually rather listen to Chili Sauce over this, and that's saying something. Um, <laughs> Yeah, what exactly is this song about? Who is it about? Um, I'm with Captain. He's like, why the whole kid being Prince and Mar- but Morris singing about? I mean, does Mar- it makes is no maybe, sense. Is maybe Morris the kid in this song only? I don't know. Who knows? There's a synth line here, and I can't place it. It's not a direct line from another song, but it reminds me of something maybe from Pop Life, maybe from Pop Life, the extended mix. I don't know. There's some weird stuff going on. Toje mentioned this in another song, I think in the opener to this album, where there was some elements of other pieces of music that Prince was working on at the time. It happens here. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about or even picked it up. but I'll just say one thing you just reminded me of, though. At the end of Chili Sauce, he says, it's like the last thing he says in Chili Sauce, he says, if the kid can't make you come, nobody can. So it's just, Hmm. again, it's a recurring theme. Yeah. Very, very odd. Maybe, and who knows, you know, I'd love to get to the bottom of this. Imagine if it's some hugely deep and personal, meaningful 
private joke that they all had that we're just not in on. That would be kind of funny. But maybe we have to speak to Jesse or Morris to get the scoop on I mean, it. It wouldn't surprise me if maybe the original idea of In Purple Rain was that Morris Day's character was called the kid. And for whatever reason, that got changed at some point where Prince was the kid. I don't know. But that would kind of make sense of it. Well, it wouldn't because Morris is saying, if I can't make you come, then. <laughs> Nobody can. Idea. Yeah, if that makes can, sense. No one can, you know. I see it as uh, kid. Kid is like a slang term, just like my drawers is like for a girl. That's my drawers. You know, it's just like a slang term. Oh, the kid. Like, it's just like a male term. It just, in general. That's probably what it is but knowing that prince is the kid in the movie just confuses that idea but that's probably what it is it's just yeah, like it a slang it, for yeah, yeah it confuses it you're right it confuses it especially so, because so many people link this album to the purple rain album yeah. and movie that's that's where the big confusion is so back to the music though themes aside i think the drums are I wouldn't say they're in the pocket, but they're good enough. And now that I learned that Jesse was on the drums, allegedly, drunk, allegedly, on the wine, allegedly, it makes a lot more sense. There's some nice guitars. Again, sounds like Jesse playing the blues licks there. And uh, again, he's a crash hot guitarist, so I shouldn't be surprised that it sounds great. And the bass rumbling about three quarters of the way through, that's super cool. Probably my favorite part of the song is the bass rumbling and then very, very rare appearance of some piano, really deep piano chords that are struck really with a lot of like ferocity. Mm. It only happens once or twice. I don't know if anyone else hears that, but that's a really, really cool. 522, that's when the piano comes in. (laughs) Oh, that's right. It could be it. If this and Chili Sauce were not on this album, it in fact wouldn't be an album and it'd just be an extended play. And I think it'd be all the better for it and possibly a more classic release than than it otherwise is. But hey, just one guy's opinion. Isn't it funny that we all know that Prince had this sense of humor and the voice, which he does, Morris does, Morris Hayes does it, and he'd put out tracks like this with these hilarious like skits and segues on them. But it was always, it, it was on the Time album. It was on the NPG's album. Mm. It was on Exodus. It's never on Did his he- album. Not on his own album because that wasn't his image of this, you know, funny guy. It was always he'd put it on on the side, which is interesting because we all know that that was him. That was his sense of humor, but he never really put it out on display on his own in his own music. He did like there was hints of it, but not as obvious as stuff like this. Even something yeah, like um, Bob George, you know, he shelved the album right the last minute. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and even I mean, stuff I'm like, sure there's something obvious we've just not thinking yes, of right now, is. but yeah. Yes. The end of Jughead. <laughs> no. Yeah. no, no. Well, All, he of has Jughead. This... All of Jughead. All of Jughead. As much as I love that song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But look, there is, there is, and I, it's on Artificial Age, and I think it's at the, is it the end of Gold Standard? What's that? Yeah. Is it the get in there, oh, get yeah. into the what bathtub moment? Yeah. It's on that album, and I think... Maybe by that stage in his career and personal life, he had begun to loosen up a little bit about mm. potentially employing those sorts of devices in his own material. So you're right. Overall, there's very little, but isn't it funny? But that, still, there's know. just hints of it. Like even that's just a couple of lines at the end of one yeah, track yeah, on one album. Yeah, yeah. But here he'd do like a, you know, a six-minute skit about something. 
And like even mashed potato yeah. girl, it goes for, that's pretty long. It's almost like he treated his own work very seriously. And then when he gets onto these albums, yeah. he kind of lets his hair down and has a bit of fun. Yeah, that, that is what it looks like. And even when he does let his hair down uh, to your point player and, and you know, really have some fun, have a ball, he doesn't release that sort of stuff. Like, for example, a song that he recorded that but never released until it came out on Crystal Ball, Movie Star. That's a perfect example of him being oh, really... Yeah ridiculous and whimsical that's a prince track that's intended for morris day right movie star well, yes i, I think I it was so, yeah. i think it Same was with, um, pretty pretty man as well on the rave album which is like a you yep. know a hidden track bonus track mm. uh, intended for morris so mm. and then you've got songs like work that fat which is just <laughs> the most hilarious thing ever but not released anyway and with I, can, that, I can actually hear morris do party men as well party men yep. a, a cool song for morris to Ooh. sing That'd be a great yeah, track for the time to do. Yeah. Because Prince even sings it in that sort of voice. No, it's does, not quite yeah. the Morris Day voice, but it's, it's halfway there. Yeah. yeah. All right, all right. Let's keep the train moving. It's track number six. It's a big moment on this show because not only is it the last track, not only is it a single with a bullet on the charts, but it is a darn good song. It's called The Bird. One of the most iconic pieces of music by the time and by Prince. But do we like it? That's the question. All right, player, what do you think? Well, most, I guess the most noticeable thing about this song is it's the live version. And you can see why. It's the energy. And Prince does this with like songs, like another classic example is Days of Wild. Like I'm sure there is a studio version of The Bird, but, you know, it's never been released. This is great. This oh, is classic. Great. Baby, I'm a star. I would die for you. Yeah, all those, all those. This is good. This is classic. But again, this is not the definitive version for me. I think there's other live versions that do it for me. This live recording, though, is crystal clear. It's very good recording. Gives me hope of what else is laying in the vault from this era. If it sounds as good as this, it's great. I don't know how much is overdubbed, but if this is straight rip of what was recorded, sounds great. I mean, there's the whole song I love, but my absolute favorite part is the last minute 40, the coda section, where Morris and the band all dance in unison. They do the chili sauce dance. That part of it, musically, it's, yeah, it's like an orgasm for me. When I get to that part, like during the whole song, I long for that moment, that last minute 40. If the bird like, can't make you come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm in a flap about it. Um, it's like the whole song I hang in there for the build up, the build up to this, to that part. It's actually my dream to be on stage with Morrison Jerome and do all the steps, the chili sauce slide, the lot. I want, I want to be there next to them. Like, you know how they pull people up on, on the stage? I want to be one. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, I want to be that guy. I, I remember watching. I remember watching Purple Rain the first time, and when they get to their slide bit, just like, what the hell? That's cool. <laughs> no slide. You know what's really cool? One of my most favorite TV performances ever is Janet Jackson at the 1987 Grammys. And she does What Have You Done For Me Lately? And she does a bit of Nasty in there as well. But at the end of that, because on stage during that performance, she's got Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis and Jerome. And at the end, they do the chili sauce slide, Mm. which is really interesting because when this album came out, the only member in the group really was Jerome. Like Terry and uh, Jimmy and Terry went there. 
So for them to incorporate this in 87 and have Janet do it as well, you know, like that's pretty cool. Like that, like just like kind of like throwback reference, like having a bit of Prince, you know, all the time in Janet's act. That's really cool. You can find that on YouTube. It's it's on there. She, but she does the same thing. It's, it's just the chili sauce and all that. So yeah, I really like this song. I think the Jungle Love and the Bird are the most two most well-known time songs. And obviously that's because they're the only two songs in Purple Rain as well. So everyone seems to know these two songs. But in having said that, they're the stronger material, especially on this album. And I'll reiterate that more in my outro final thoughts part. But this is a great song. Plus, they obviously they were big because they were in the movie, but they were also in Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> Correct. Which is probably where a whole bunch of new young people saw the time and heard these songs. That's right. The new generation. Yeah. I think it's uh, Silent Bob. I think he roughs up those kids out the front of the convenience store when they sort of slag on Purple Rain or whatever. Mm. So like, you know, he jumps in there like, you know, how dare you say something like about that, about the yeah. time or whatever, you know. And by the end of the movie, they kind of show you why, like, you know, this is, yeah. this is why they're so good. Kind of. Well, the great thing about, and I agree with basically everything Player said, the greatest thing about this song for me on this album is that it is the live version because you've got Morris, you've got Jesse, you've got Jellybean on the drums, you've got, I believe, St. Paul Peterson on keyboards here. And then you've got Prince doing overdubs in the studio or whatever. But this song has got that energy that the rest of the album's missing. As much as I love Jungle Love, You're this, right. this song has more vitality to it. And it's because it's live. Great. Why not release <laughs> Jungle Love live version? Why not just release a bloody live version of a concert by the time and make all our dreams come true? Because back then there was such a smoking band. But, you know, what can I say about this song that, that you guys won't? Probably not a whole lot. I'll just move through my points real quick. Classic lines, classic melody. Three quarters of the way through, there's this instrumental jam part. That's really cool. But all I really have to say about this, without going into too many specifics, is this may be one of the most fun, relaxed, happy party vibe feel good songs of his and of the times that's ever come out i mean morris plays his part here big time you know we've made a few interesting remarks about morris's vocals and involvement and stuff but here he is in his element like there is no one else that could pull this song off i think even prince uh you know he do a good job but morris is the guy right and jesse johnson deserves his fair share of credit because i believe very early on he had something to do with the basic tracks or idea around the hook um, yeah i think it's jesse's song because i saw an interview with jesse that i think prince warned the time before they went out on stage he said to them don't do that bird song he would, like he'd say to them, "Don't do that bird song." Meaning, like he didn't even write the song; like they wrote it, but he didn't yeah. want them performing it. And they would just to piss him off, they go out and do the bird, you know, <laughs> just to piss him off. But he he would say every night, "Don't do that bird song." So I think it is it's, their song. I think it's Jesse Johnson's song, and I think you know, yeah. So I mean, just, I think Prince embraced it like some, uh, like eventually or whatever. But yeah, when you think about it, it's such a weird sort of relationship that Prince had with the time. It was Just, weird. Uh, it was like he knew he needed them. Early on, he wrote all the songs and, and then they started getting bigger and bigger. And then was it 99 tour that they'd come out and do a better set and blow him off the stage? 
And like, yeah, he'd be saying, don't do the bird, don't. He hated. They'd be showing him up night after night. And sometimes he just dropped them from the bill altogether. In the big cities, yeah. Oh, man. It's, yeah, in the big cities, he'd be like, you're not, you're not doing it. You're not going to show me up. It's just crazy. It's just such a weird dynamic that was there. Yeah, and it yeah. changed over time. And, it, oh, it's weird. It's almost we, like we should do a that. whole song about that. Prince yeah. and the time <laughs> and go deep into that history for sure. But, yeah, for me, look, this song is, it's genius. It's, it's legitimately one of the best Purple Jams one of the best Prince songs, let's call it one of the best time songs, really. And doing a little bit of research for the track, I noticed that really he didn't play this very often. They didn't play this very often. I think they start, you know, they did a couple of appearances in 85 playing this track. And then occasionally Prince would perform a couple of short versions of The Bird and Jungle Love over the years. But I just found it really interesting that between 2008 at Coachella and the year 2014, when he finally released his 2014 uh, masterpiece, in my opinion, Artificial Age, he played this song live every single year between 2008 and 2014. It's just really interesting, mm. it's staggering to me. Seven years in a row that he decided to bring it back and he, would, he wouldn't let up. He would just play it and play it and play it and play it and play it. So he obviously understood how amazing these songs were. And for the fans, how important they are and, and how much we enjoyed. Like anytime the bird comes on, there is not a single person in the place who does not have a smile on his or her face. I don't care who you are. It's just one of those tracks. It just makes you feel good. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Toe Jam. I agree. I think this is definitely tied with Jungle Love as the best song on the album. And again, we're saying they're the most well-known songs, but it's not only because they're in the Purple Rain album. It's because... They're just killer songs. And like I said, with Jungle Love, you know, you watch the movie, you see Let's Go Crazy, and then suddenly Jungle Love, and you're like, damn, that's funky too. You know, the whole idea of the Purple Rain movie is they're leading up to this final performance and, you know, the time come out and play the bird. I mean, I'm sorry, but as much as I love Purple Rain, like, I think the time won that battle that night. <laughs> I mean, that in the movie when they're doing the bird, it, it just rocks. You know, the crowd's going nuts. Morris is singing lines like, let your body get loose, it ain't too fat to fly. And they cut to this, you know, big girl just flapping her arms. Like <laughs> the dance, like the dance itself. It's just, let's just come up with this dumb, silly, fun <laughs> dance. Just throw your arms in the air and just pretend you're a bird. Like it's just hilarious. But it's so but much it's fun. Like, it's like it's it's like a throwback to the James Brown dances, you know, yeah. camera walk and all that sort of stuff. It's yeah. just, you know, it's just like his twist on it kind of thing. Yeah, but but it's very much just like down to earth, you know, it, there's no pretense about it. It's let's have fun. Let, let's dance this silly little dance. It's almost like the chicken dance, you know. People love it because it's just so absurd. But, I mean, the synths in this just rock. So many crazy synths. Minneapolis, Minneapolis, Minneapolis. Yeah. I mean, that you just that's straight out of Minneapolis, that stuff. All that stuff. Um, <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the end of Gonna Be a Beautiful Night. It's all that stuff. Ah, uh, yeah. It's all that stuff. Yeah, same sort of stuff. Yeah. All those like little, just tiny little intricate bits. Yeah, that he can just call out and they just play it. I mean, even just that little line, just... It's just like, what the... It's, it's like a little bird call, like a little tweety bird. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so cool. Uh, in the you know, play was saying in the middle section of this live version, it goes some different places that you don't normally hear uh, in this particular recording. Uh, you know, at one point to it, like Morris is just like, you know, pledge allegiance to the time. It's like, yes, I'm with you there, Morris. Like, you guys are killing it right now. Uh, this song has great turnarounds as well. That dun 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 dun. You know, 
turn around into the next section. It just pumps all the way through. Classic, again, classic 80s, classic Purple Rain era. I mean, this is in the mix of all of those Purple Rain songs. This is, you know, the, the cream of the crop, this one. So uh, the bird, it kicks ass. The funny thing with that I Pledge Allegiance to the Time is in, I think, the previous track. Yes. The girl says I Pledge Allegiance something as well. And then I'm sure there's a, a Prince track as well with something similar from early 80s. And I can't think what it is. There's a few like political references in the early 80s from Prince. Mm, I'll think of it one well, day. Well, Captain, it's your go. Round out a review of this song with your thoughts. Ah, Shirley Bean Johnson on the drums. The, the yeah. interesting thing with this, because it's the live version, is this is probably the only track on the album which has zero input from Prince on the album. Well, he's got over. He's got over. Unless there's overdubs, song. which there probably yeah. is, because it sounds so damn good. But as the live version, I think it would have been hard for him to ditch the studio version, which exists, existed, and he went for the live version, even though it had nothing to do with him. That's a bit of ego dropping right there. That he's like, no, nah, I know the studio version's funky as anything, but this live version's better. So that was interesting that they decided to put it on there. And oh, I've said it before, but this on oh, this album, I'll say it again. This is such a funky track. Just listen to it. What else can you say? Just go and listen to it right now. That's all you got to do. The synths, Ojam said, the synths is just fat synths everywhere. Uh, it's just so damn good. There must be there's at least three different synth parts going on at any time. It's crazy. But that that's what makes me wonder that there's overdubs on it. There's got to be because there's there wasn't that many people on stage. There wasn't uh, anyway. You got Monte Moore so got, was and Monty uh, there? well, I don't know for the actual recording, but like you know, generally speaking, the time always have two keyboard players and they're playing two keyboards each, basically. Two so. keyboards at the same time. Yeah, hmm. yeah, it could be. But this just this song, it's another one that just boggles your mind the quality of songs he was giving to other people. If this was in fact his song, which we're talking about. But true, it's to his own protege people, but still it's just crazy how good these songs are. 301, super funky guitar part. Uh, some more synths come in, that's really good. The best part, 340. The Wright brothers can't fuck with that. Bring me my hat. It's so good. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. The bass, the guitar, the synths, it's just all good. 410, they start in with those four chords. I'm sure Toe Jam knows what they are. The third one is just discordant as hell, and it just it's so good. It just fits. 510, more super funk on a stick. And then, like the player said, like the last like minute, minute and a half, the outro is just mental. From about six minutes, holy hell, just blow your head yeah. off. It's just great. While that's all happening, you got these crazy synths, and then suddenly there's this stop, and Morris comes to the mic, and you think he's going to sing some line, and he just goes, squat, and then it just keeps going. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't say anymore. Just go and listen to it. That's all you got to do. Do the dance. All right, all right, all right. We've reached the end. Six tracks talked about, discussed, analyzed, assessed, obsessed over by the Peach and Black podcast. We've reached the end of this release, Ice Cream Castle. Uh, look, it's a classic album, but, you know, how good is it? I don't know. I'll go final thoughts from the panel from left yeah. to right as we always do because I think, you know, we've said a lot on here, but it would be good just to encapsulate what you guys all think about this album overall uh, as a piece of work, as a piece of art. player. I think there's an easy way to sum up this album. There's two strong songs, being The Bird and Jungle Love, two very good songs or medium songs, being Ice Cream Castles in My Drawers, and two weak songs, which is Chili Sauce and If the Kid Can't Make mm. It Come. So it's like a 
Top tier, middle tier, lower tier. Lucky MCs doesn't score anymore because he'd have a big problem trying to work those maths out. <laughs> <laughs> how would you make it? Yeah, how's he going to figure that? Uh, so that's that's basically the review of the album. It does kind of fit with the tradition of time albums in the in the sense that it's six songs per album. Noticeably, a lot of the original members aren't there, but then again... All the other time albums are Prince mainly contributions. And the one more thing is what I've pretty much said throughout this whole review. It's just sonically not as kind of driving as the Purple Rain album and Prince albums of that era. It just sounds very thin and no bottom end to it. Bring on the remasters, Bernie. Get on it. Yeah, you just reminded me. I'm going to have to listen to the vinyl as well and see if I can pick up some bass from this release. Uh, Toe Jam, final thoughts. All right, so as as much as I've just laid a lot of praise onto Jungle Love and to The Bird, I kind of agree with Player in that they are definitely the best two songs on the album, but even they kind of have problems with this album and that Jungle Love is just a little bit slower than you'd kind of like it to be. And The Bird is a live version, so it, it's kind of like sonically it sounds a bit different to the others. And then, so, I mean, for that to be the two best tracks where you sort of got something where you're like, yeah, they're great tracks, but they're not as listenable as some other versions. And then, I mean, you know, Ice Cream Castle, the song is, by the time, and Prince's Standard is pretty weak. I think My Drawers is, you know, it's it's okay, it's good, it's funky, but, you know, Morris's vocal is just kind of ruins that song a bit. Morris's vocal and, and the humor kind of ru- ruin Chili Sauce. Uh, if Same for If the Kid Can't Make You Come, as good as that, you know, has some sleeper kind of moments on it. So, I mean... I, I really feel, and I remember saying this with the last two Type albums that we reviewed, that Morris, like, as good as he does the funky stuff, the ballads and, and this sort of thing just don't cut it. And <laughs> I, I really find this is the the weakest of the three Time albums by far. Wow. Uh, I listen to oh. The other, oh, yeah. I, I listen to the other. The other two are more consistent in terms of albums. This one has two great songs, but they're kind of just, you know, there's something with them that kind of annoy me. And then the rest of it's basically filler. So I don't really listen to this one very often at all. I think it's the weakest of the time albums. Hmm. And I think I think that's just the fact that when they're recording this album, the band's kind of breaking up and splitting up. And so what we end up getting is really a, it's really a leftovers. It's basically time outtakes polished up is what I see it as. Wow. Um, <laughs> okay. So, I mean, you know, when I'm going to listen to the time, I'll go get what time is it? That is the definitive time album. Whew. I in the hot sauce. <laughs> Chili sauce on the show right now. Okay, Captain, what have you got to say about that? Or what are your thoughts? Going into listening to this the last few weeks, I was thinking this is the weakest of the first three albums. But then after listening to it a lot and not listening to the first two at all the last few weeks, I think this is possibly the strongest of the three. <laughs> oh, that's easy, that's easily solved. Just listen to the first two again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the Jungle Love and the Bird are, I think, better than anything on the first three albums. So just that puts it ahead. What Player says of the two weakest tracks, I think, are hilarious and great. And the other two are pretty good. So uh, you've got that right. But it's a good album. I think it's the best of the first three. It's not the best ever. We'll get to that one day. But yeah. That's it. I think this album's more accessible. It was their crossover album, whereas the first two is more sort of underground R&B. It's a bit more dirty. And like, so people's, you know, gateway into the time is this album. So, you know, it's sort of more pop. It's more pop friendly than the first two, whereas the first two are like 
more R&B and funk, and this is more light funk and pop, and yeah. Mm, yeah, it is. It is more accessible. Yeah, it's But that's accessible. the saddest thing about it. By the time the album came out, the band was done. So they couldn't hmm. capitalize on the success of the movie or the album. They couldn't tour because they were done. Hmm. It all comes back to this weird relationship between them and him. It's a bit of a shame. In some ways, it's a it's a curse. It's like, yeah, it's great. Prince is writing songs for us. But then there's also the other side of that coin and all the other crap that comes with it. Yeah, they didn't want to be puppets. And they've gotten together several times. They've broken up other times. And they couldn't use the name. And just it just was just one thing after the other, year after year. It's just, oh, we need a whole show about that. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do that. We're going to do that show, Captain, for sure. Yeah, That's a good show to do. I do think, though, that to round out my thoughts just real briefly, that Toe Jam does have a point about what the best album is by the time. And I do agree with him. I personally think that What Time Is It is the best album they ever made, back to back. However, or front to back, I should say. But this record, Ice Cream Castle, is, I think, their second best album and their debut has to go in third place by default. Obviously, I'm not counting Pandemonium because it's a separate beast. But the ones that were done basically with Prince's music and when with significant contribution by Jesse, I would say that's that's the order for me. And and I kind of side with players' logic about the 222 thing. I'm not going to try and uh, do the maths on this. Well, it's 6.66 recurring. But anyway, who's counting? The reality is that, yeah, it does have two massive hit singles, right? And if you take them off the album, you're left with four songs, half of which aren't even that great so what are you really left with but aren't those two hit singles better than anything on the first two albums uh wild and lose 777 pretty uh yeah i don't know i don't know do you take wild and lose i think in terms of pop hits yes jungle love and the bird are are Mm. better pop songs but i think i don't like the versions on this album that's the problem yeah i mean the first two albums are funky but this uh, yeah this album's not so it's got funky bits but it's overall it's not as funky as the first two but it's a bit wilder it is as more well, pop isn't and it? More accessible. Yeah. It's more pop and more accessible, but I think it's also wilder. I mean, pardon the pun, but wild and loose. I think Jungle Love is wilder than wild and loose the song could ever be. So it's like it's hard to describe. But for me, personally speaking, this album is a really fun listen. And I can't believe I kind of foolishly listened to the digital files on headphones when I could have just put the vinyl on and had that whole experience. So I have to make sure I definitely do that. But at least you've got the vinyl, not like 1-800-NEW-FUNK. <laughs> that's, tr- that's true. So <laughs> I have to really do that. But the thing, my final thought is this. For me, this is not so much an album. It's more so an experience. The reason I say that is because, you know, yes, you've got the Purple Rain, you've got Glamorous Life in 84, and you've got all these other pieces of music that Prince was doing. But when you put this on, you get a bit of everything. You, you, get, a, you get funk, you get the rock. You get the ballads, although aren't that great. You get the humor, this really weird segue type track. You get the colorful artwork. You get a live track. You get basically Prince's music played by kick-ass musicians and Jesse Johnson all over this thing, ripping into guitar, guitar solo after guitar solo. So it's like it's this experience of this moment in time of how freaking cool 83 and 84 Minneapolis was. And it wasn't just about Prince. It was about all these other people that were contributing as well. So for me, it's like, it's an awesome party record. It's a fun record to listen to. And it's sentimental. Let me put it that way. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there's that but. There's all these other things that you guys have mentioned that 
stop it from being a true stone cold classic across the board. So uh, here's a question. Yeah. Anyone can answer this. Does anyone here think that with the two weakest songs, as as they've been called on this album, did Prince create this comedy ballad genre of songs? No, I don't think so. I can't. Probably not. But I can't think of any others. Well, I don't even know if this is a song though. So I would Who say like the Goonies, a ballad, and then you listen to the music, and you're like, it's obviously a ballad, even though they get a bit funky. But then kind you've just of, got this guy just doing just random jokes like every five seconds. Yeah, but it's I would like, say like who does that? Who does Rodney, that? Rodney Rude, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but there was you he go. doing it in nineteen eighty two, three, four? Uh eighty four he was. Maybe. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, I kind of think that all the way back, like British comedy, like the Goonies, Benny Hill, that sort of stuff, Peter Sellers, uh, Yes, it wasn't done by quote unquote critical musicians, but or da- critical darlings, well known musicians. But yeah, I think that j- weird. But they novelty were doing comedy types. songs by comedy people. Yeah, but were they meant to be like this is a ballad, but it's actually funny? Didn't it's a weird Dudley thing. Moore? Didn't Dudley Moore do something like? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I'm out Peter, of my element here. Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Who knows? There you go. And with that, this is not the terrible B-movies of the 70s podcast. It's the Peach and Black podcast. And it's been a pleasure having your company. Captain's going to prepare the tables. Player's going to cook some pasta. I'm going to bring the car out. And Toe Jam's going to play some trumpet music to set the scene as we go off into the sunset and finish this episode. (laughs) I don't know what any of that meant. It's been fantastic. Thank you for your... Thank you for being in our lives as our listeners. We appreciate your support. And this has been the Peach and Black Podcast. And I'm now rambling and it's the (laughs) end. (laughs) See ya. Oh, you know what we didn't mention in this episode? The new re-release of Ice Cream Castle with the coloured vinyl. It only came out a couple of months ago. It's like Neapolitan. Have you seen it? (laughs) I haven't seen it. It's a vinyl, and the vinyl's coloured in three colours, like the strawberry, vanilla, and chocolate. Ooh. It's like a marbled effect. There you go, MC. Go get it. <laughs> Might have to. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Ah!